Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Hey, welcome to the last week in this series entitled The Art of Neighboring. Here we are on Palm Sunday. Uh, as Tim talked about in the lobby, we are celebrating this day when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. If you don't know what that's all about, Jesus uh, kicked off Holy Week by getting on a donkey and riding into Jerusalem. And the reason he did that, you might think, well, that's kind of odd, riding donkey, right? But it was all to fulfill prophecy, every bit of it. And he rode into Jerusalem knowing what he was coming in for. Like he knew that he was, he was headed in to give his life at the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And he, he knew that he was going to rise again so that we could have eternal life with him. And so this day is that day where we go, okay, Jesus had set his mind up, he had set his heart up, and he was moving in this direction to take care of this ultimate price, the price that you and I could never pay on our own. And so he was coming in to change everything, to change the world, to change us, to change our relationship and our standing with God. And so this is a celebratory day. We're excited about what this means for us. And so today, uh, I want to encourage you, head over to John chapter 6. This is where we're going to be today. Uh, while you're headed to John chapter 6, let me catch those of you up that have not been here for the last few weeks. We are in this series entitled The Art of Neighboring. And the reason for that is because we felt like over the last couple of years with all the social distancing and the isolation that we have lost the art of neighboring. And we need to get back to it because it was important to Jesus. It was actually so important that in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was approached by a religious leader and he said, what is the greatest commandment? Like what's the greatest thing that we need to remember and Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he didn't stop there. He could have. But he said, and the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said this. He said, look, if you do those two things, he said, all the prophets and all the laws hang on those two commandments. Like if you do these two things right, everything else is going to fall into place. And I love the fact he didn't just stop with one commandment. He gave us two. It was like this idea that you can't say that you love God if you hate everybody around you. You can't do that. And so it's the idea of loving God and loving others. And then later on in Luke chapter 10, we see somewhat of the same uh, story, conversation unfold. Another religious leader approaches Jesus and says, hey, um, how can I inherit eternal life? So he changes the question up just a little bit. And Jesus flips, the, flips it on him and goes, well, you know the law. What do you say? And he says, well, and I love this guy's response because he must have been there in Matthew chapter 22, listening to what Jesus said because he gives Jesus back his answer. He says, well, uh, to love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your, and he adds strength, all your strength and all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what Jesus says? He says, you're right. Wouldn't that be awesome if you answered a question by Jesus and he's like, you're right. But he also says this, you're right. And he says, if you do this, you will live what was the question? How do I inherit eternal life? And he says, if you do this, you will 
live. Now, in Christian circles, we call this the great commandment. And the easiest way to remember it is just to say, love God and love others. Can you say that with me? Love God and love others. Say it nice and loud. Love God and love others. All right, so every time today, when I'm talking and I say, the great commandment is to you guys are awake. You're with me. This is awesome. This is going to be a good day. I can feel it already. So uh, we're going to have some fun with this. And so I'm going to test you a few times through the message. So pay attention. Because uh, when I say the, the great commandment is... There you go. You got the hang of it. So uh, we are to live this out as disciples of Jesus Christ. This is what we're supposed to be doing. There's no better way to live our lives than to love God and love others. And this is what we're supposed to be doing. But I also shared with you a few weeks ago that there's several obstacles that we have to overcome in order to live this out. The first one I said was time, remember? And it wasn't so much time as it was priorities because we said you'll make times for for things that you prioritize in your life. So it's really a priority. And when we choose not to love our neighbors, what we're saying is all the other things that we do in life are more important than fulfilling the great commandment, which is to... Oh, okay. Some of you are still with me. All right. So it's this idea that we need to make this a priority in our lives. And then um, we said the next obstacle was fear because we're afraid of things that we we don't know, of the the unknown, of people that we don't know. And we, we, we don't judge favorably. Like we're always critical when we judge and especially our neighbors that we're not familiar with. And so I challenged you last week to cross the street. To, to go across the fence or go down to the next driveway and, and meet them. Because what you're going to find out is they're people just like you. They're just trying to do life. They're trying to figure out truth. And guess what? You have it. You have it. You know this Jesus that they are in desperate need of. And so I, I encourage you to go love on your neighbors, to learn their names, to learn their story, to learn their family. I hope you're taking this seriously because this third obstacle that we run into is one we don't like to admit, but it's, it's this idea that we don't think that we can because we don't think we have anything to offer. We don't think that, well, it's just little old me, right? I mean, I, I can't make a difference, so I, I'm just going to sit back on this one. And I want to show you a story today of somebody who I think um, probably didn't have a whole lot in the eyes of, of man, But God took what he had and he did a miracle with it. I think the same thing can be done in your life if you just take the step to cross the street or to go across the fence and and meet your neighbor and love on them. I think God can take whatever you have, even if you think it's not a lot, and he can do something absolutely amazing with it. Take a look at this. The story is in John chapter 6. We're looking at the first 13 verses. It starts off this way. It says, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Now, this is interesting because I don't, I've never been able to really do this, and now I'm able to do this, but I want to show you a picture because I was standing in this exact location just a month ago. This is what it looks like. And this is where Jesus did this miracle. And it was pretty fascinating because you can see it's a big, big kind of a sloping hill that leads down to the Sea of Galilee. And if you look across the sea there, you'll see the other side. This is something I didn't realize until I was standing there. But the Sea of Galilee, you literally could have somebody jump in a boat. They could go across and you could see where they land, where they stop. And you could walk around the shore and meet them on the other side. And this is exactly what's happening in this passage in John 6. Jesus leaves. He's in a boat. They go to a particular spot. This one 
one right here. They come up on this hill. They sit down, and the crowd begins to move in their direction. They can see them coming. As you can see, you could just watch them walk around, especially if it was a large group of people. Also notice the, the landscape, because later on in this passage, it's going to say that Jesus has them sit down on the grassy slope, this whole slope, and it just overlooks the Sea of Galilee. Absolutely beautiful where this, play, uh, where this takes place. And so in verse 5, it continues. It says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed him. I love this response. What's Philip focused on? On what they can do, right? Like if we worked all months, we couldn't feed all these people. Look at what Andrew does. Andrew, uh, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? What's he focused on? He's focused on their resources. We don't have enough resources. We can't take care of all these people. They're forgetting who's, who's in their presence, right? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slope. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Don't miss that. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that, so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. It's a miracle. He, he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, and, and there was plenty left over. And there's a lot of symbolism to this that we could get into and everything, but mainly what I want to do today is I, I just want to pull out a few things as it relates to neighboring that I think is important for us, especially those of us that think that we can't do this, this, this great commandment to love God and love others, right? So for those of us that, that think that we don't have what it takes, like, we don't have a whole lot to offer. I want to point out a couple things to you. First one is this, that small things matter. Small things matter. Even these little bitty steps that we take, just, just saying hi, they matter. Uh, this little boy had nothing more than five loaves and two fish. I'm sure when he came, he's like, I ain't got much, but this is all I've got. And he offers it up. And even the, the disciple, even Andrew, who's seen Jesus heal earlier in this passage, it said they were following him because of all the miraculous signs, Right? Even in the midst of that, he's like, well, there's not a whole lot we can do. What good is this with such a huge crowd? Not knowing that Jesus was about to do something absolutely incredible. And we don't think that what we have is a lot. We don't think that we can make a difference. And yet God is standing there going, just test me. Try this out. Just take the step. Obey. Be obedient. And see what I can do with what you have to offer. Even if it's just five loaves and two fish. Remember when you were little kids? used to dream about doing great stuff. I mean, when, I don't know about you. When I was growing up, I'm like, oh, we're going to cure cancer while I'm on the moon, right? I'm going to land on the moon, and, and we're going we're to take care of world hunger. We're going to fix all these problems. And somehow, as we get older, we stop dreaming. We stop thinking that we can make a difference, that we can have an impact. And here's the crazy thing. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, which is what we're going to celebrate next week, is alive and well in you. God wants to work in and through you. He wants to, he's still in the business of doing miracles. Do you understand that? Like he's just waiting for his people to get in line with him, to be obedient so that he can move and act for the glory of his name. But see, 
If you ask Jesus, what's, what's, my greatest, what's the greatest thing I could do with my life? What's the greatest command? Uh, what's the best use of my time? What is the greatest thing that I could accomplish with my life? How can I truly live? How can I inherit eternal life? Do you know what he said? He would say the great commandment, to love God and love others. Okay, you're getting it. I want this so ingrained in us that this becomes our life and what we do. Now, when we start to really take the great commandment as, as literal, we begin to love our literal neighbors around us. Uh, we realize that we don't have what it takes, right? Like, like we don't have enough time. We, don't, we, don't have, we can't remember names. I'm not good at remembering names. I'm not very good at this friendship thing. I, I can't love like Jesus loves, right? And we start thinking that this idea of loving God and loving others is mission impossible when in reality, Jesus is standing there going, just take a step. Just try it. Let me do what I can do. I want you to remember that, that for those of you that have been on, sitting here for four weeks and just kind of ignoring what I'm saying because you're like, I just can't do that. I want you to know that small sacrifices lead to big miracles. Maybe you've never, never once taken the step to fulfill the great commandment, which is to love God. And Right. I'm challenging you today. Commit yourself to it. Take a step. And see what Jesus does. Now, I know this. I know I can promise you this because I've already heard stories. Some of you have been coming and you're, you're telling us, uh, pastors and staff here, what's happening? Like you actually got out of your house and walked across the street or you went down to the neighbor's driveway, pulled in and got out thinking that they were going to shun you. And then you come in here and you give us this amazing story about how God moved in that moment. Some of you got asked to, hey, you know, can I help you with something? And they're like, well, I don't know if you can help me, but this is what I need. And you're like, that's what I do for a living. It's amazing what God has done over the last few weeks with those of you that are just taking the step. If you haven't taken a step, offer up your lunch, whatever it is. Just give it to him and see what God does in that moment. Let me ask you, when did it multiply? When did God do the miracle? Was it when the little boy showed up and said, that's all I got? No. Uh, was it when Andrew's like, I don't know what we're going to do with this? Or was it when Jesus was like offering up for prayer? Do, do you know from reading the text, the best I can tell, do you know when, when the miracle happened? It was when they took it and they began to serve people with it. Somehow in that, pro I don't know how it all worked, but they started serving and all of a sudden it started multiplying. They had more than enough. I think that's when it happened. When you give away what you have, God will give you more to give away. Do you realize that? It's amazing how he works. God will do what only he can do when you do what you can do. But you got to do what you can do. And so often we sit back and we just kind of wait for God to do something. And God's like, go, go. I've already told you what to do. It's the great commandment. Love God and yeah, go do that. And watch what I do in the midst of that. Trust God that he'll fill you up with enough of whatever it is that you need to meet the need right in front of you and, and then trust him to, fill, to backfill it. That's what he does. That's how he works. He wants us to move and then he steps in and does miracles. He does amazing things. If you don't, if you don't take that step, if you don't give, guess what happens? You don't get to see a chance. Uh, you don't get to see God do the miracle. You just kind of sit back and you miss out on what God really wants to do in and through you. There was a German pastor by the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, and he, uh, he was around during the time that Hitler was taking power. 
And so he was pastoring in Germany during the, the Nazi regime when they took power. And, and what was interesting is he was a, actually a pacifist. He didn't believe in act, action. He didn't believe in, in uh, you know, uh, fighting back. And yet in the middle of World War II, he went from being a passive uh, pastor to being an, act, uh, an activist. And his sister one time asked him why he made the change. And the only way he could describe it is he said, look, when you're sitting in the passenger seat of a car, and the driver steers the car toward a playground full of kids. He said, you have to try to take control of that car. And that's what he did. Um, he would become an activist, and, and he was preaching the gospel and trying to preach against what was happening there in Germany. And it, it would lead to his death because the Germans would actually uh, arrest him, bring him in. And yesterday was the 77th anniversary of his execution. He gave his life for the cause of Christ. But he said this. He said, one act of obedience is better than a hundred sermons. One act of obedience. God calls us as his disciples to fulfill the great commandment to love God and love others. Do you realize, if you commit yourself to this, and, and today when you get home, you move and you walk across the street or you go to the next driveway, do you realize that what happens in that moment is better than my next 100 messages? You realize that? It's an act of obedience. Imagine what God could do. Uh, we're, we're standing here on Palm Sunday, uh, the start of Holy Week, when Jesus rode in, and we're getting ready for Good Friday, you, when we're going to come in here at 7 o'clock, by the way, make sure that you're here, and we're going to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross Friday night at 7 o'clock. And then, of course, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. It's, we're going to celebrate the fact that we have a God who died for our sins and rose again so we can have eternal life with him. But as I was thinking through all this and we were preparing for this, I, I started thinking through the progression of the week and I got to Thursday. And in John 17, there's a prayer recorded by Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's an interesting prayer because first of all, he prays for himself. He just prays, God, give me the strength to, to follow this all the way through, to make sure I don't falter. Give me that strength. And then he prays for his disciples, those, those people that were right around him. And what's interesting is he continues the prayer. He prays for us. You realize that? Like he prays for future disciples, those who would believe later on, which is you and me. Jesus prayed for us when he was in the garden on Thursday. And you know what some of that prayer is? He prayed that we would be one. One with him and one with each other. What would happen if we were one with Christ? one with each other, of one mind, of, of one heart and soul and will and desire, what would happen in that moment? See, I believe that what happens when we are in unity, that it becomes so attractive to the world around us that they're drawn to Jesus because of that. What would happen if we really were one? What could we do together that we couldn't do on our own if we were of one mind. I think a lot. I started making a list of things, and, and of course, this, this message got so long, I had to cut it all out. But let me just give you one example real, real quick. Uh, for two years, we've been working on launching a counseling center out here, something that we have to do together because none of us could do that on our own. And I, I want to give you an update. Uh, as of two weeks ago, we actually hired a director. We have a director on staff now. Yeah, and we're excited. 
she, she's working hard to get the, the skeleton put together so we can get this, uh, this counseling center launched so that we can have these services out here on the I-70 corridor, so, services that we don't have out here. This is one of the ways that together, by being one, we're able to love our neighbors in a way that none of us could do on our own. Isn't that amazing? See, God can do some amazing things. If we just offered what measly lunch that we have, he can do some absolute amazing things. If God were to come down right now and just, we could talk to him and we could say, what's the greatest thing I could do with my life? What's, what's the thing that I could do that would be the most important? How, how could I change the world around me? What, what could I do to, to impact the world? Do you know what he'd say? He'd say the great commandment, to love God. That's what he would say. That's what he wants us to do. Um, I ran across this question and it bothered me a little bit because I was struggling in answering this question the way I wanted to answer it anyway. Uh, let me ask you the question, um, do you see a noticeable difference in the way Christians and non-Christians neighbor? See, I can't say I do. I wish I could. I wish I could say, I, I look across, you know, uh, all these little towns out here on the I-70 corridor, and you can identify the Christians because of the impact and the way that they love their neighbors, what's going on in those neighborhoods. You can identify the Christians. But I can't say that. I wish I could. Because we, as the disciples of Jesus Christ, get, guess what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to love our neighbors ourselves. That's, that's part of our life. People should be able to tell who the Christians are in their neighborhoods by the way that they're neighboring. This is something we need to change. Why? Why, why is that so important? Why is it important that we love our neighbor as ourselves? Why, why would we spend four weeks on this? Let me tell you why. Because love your neighbor is God's design to reach the world. This is the way he set it up. He designed it this way. I, I would have done it differently because, I mean, to entrust the gospel to a whole bunch of messed up people? I mean, there's got to be a better way, right? But this is the way he designed it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and in that, guess what happens? Um, the people get to see who Jesus is. They get to sense and feel his love. And they get to see who he is. Um, let me read you a couple stats that I think... Um, we need to be aware of. First of all, uh, when we're talking about evangelizing the world around us, reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a gift of evangelism. But the problem is only uh, less than 10% of all the Christians in churches across America actually have been given the gift of evangelism. But that's not an excuse for any of us not to share the gospel with the world around us because 100% of us are called to be witnesses for him. Do you realize that? We need to do a better job. And, and one of the things I saw was in a study back in 1993, they went around and asked Christians and churches, is it your individual responsibility to share the gospel, to evangelize the world around you? 89% of people in 1993 said, absolutely, it's my responsibility as an individual. They did the same survey in 2018, only 64% of Christians said yes. We're going the wrong direction. We need to understand that, that this is the way God has designed it. It is our job to take the gospel this, this thing that's transformed us into the world in which we live and work. Um, there was a survey done by the American Institute of Church Growth. They went in, they surveyed 8,000 people in churches. They were just new to church, and they started asking, what was it that draw, drew you into the church? I want you to listen to this, because I think this is so powerful. Talk about loving your neighbor, right? Um, so out of those 8,000 people, 1% to 2% of the people came in because they had a special need that the church met. 
Two to three percent of them were just walk-ins. They just decided one day they were just going to go to church for whatever reason. Five to six percent came in because of a particular preacher. Um, Two to three percent because of a church program. They had a program that was going on that met their need, and so they came for that program. One to two percent responded to a visitation. The pastor either came to their house or met them in the hospital or whatever it was, and they decided to go to that church. Four to five percent were reached by Sunday school. So they came in through Sunday school, and then they finally entered entered into the church through that way. Um, Get this, 0.05 were reached by some type of uh, outreach event, an evangelistic event, or a TV program. So all the stuff that churches do to try to reach their community, 0.05. Now here's where it really gets interesting. 75 to 90% came in because of a relationship that they had with a friend or a family member. Why is love your neighbor so important? Because that's the way God has designed it to reach the world. He's designed it to reach the world. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take inventory of your relationships. Uh, pull out a pen or paper or maybe your device. Uh, if you've got a good memory, maybe you can just think uh, of the names. I want you to think of some names of the people that God has placed within your network of relationships. And you have different networks of relationships. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm going to mention some of them. And I want you to think about the people in your life that you have good relationships with who need to know Jesus. Our goal here is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. So who is it that you're supposed to be pointing them to Jesus by fostering a relationship? Uh, maybe it's in your biological network of relationships, the people who are in your family. Maybe you have a family member that you know, you have a heart for. God's placed them on your heart, and you're supposed to be reaching them and loving them so that they might know Christ. Uh, what about your geographical network. Those are the, what we've been talking about for the last three weeks, right? The, the people that literally live right around you. Who are those people that need to know Christ? Do you know some names? Write those names down. What about your vocational network? Uh, people that you work with, the person in the cubicle next to you, or uh, the person that, that is on the job site with you every day, that you, you know they need Jesus Christ. God's placed them on your heart. Who is it that you need to write down? Uh, what about your recreational network? People that you camp with or you go to lake with them or maybe you hunt with them. Whatever it is, you need, to, you need to think through that. Who is that person that God has laid on your heart? And I want you to write their names down. Now, I want you to list these names for you, okay? So as you're doing that, let me just give you a caution, okay? Uh, this is a mistake that I've seen made and I don't want us to make this mistake. Because so often when we talk about this, we can go in, in the wrong direction and I don't want us to make the mistake uh, Years ago, my wife and I were involved in a church, and we, we made some friends. They were just maybe a year or two older than we were. It was another couple, and we, we enjoyed hanging out with them. We got to know them, and we were in our early 20s, and, and uh, pretty soon we started hanging out more and more. We'd see them at church, and then uh, we got to be such good friends. We we're like, hey, why don't we go out and eat afterwards? We started going out to eat after church every once in a while, and then the day came when they said, hey, why don't you come over to our house for dinner? We thought, this is kind of cool. It wasn't awkward. It was just, that's the normal progression, right? It's what happens. And we got over to their house, and things got awkward real fast. And let me tell you why. Because what we realized is when we went into their house and we sat down and started having a meal, is the reason they were being friends with us is because they had something to sell us. And I'm not going to tell you what it was, but I I ended up not buying anything from them. But here's what I felt like. I felt like if I didn't buy something, that they weren't really going to be our friends. Now, why do I bring that up? Because when we talk about pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships... Sometimes we can, we can act the same way. And I don't want us to make this mistake. Uh, does, does it say, uh, love your Christian neighbors as yourself? Is that what it says? 
No, it says love your neighbor as yourself, regardless of whether they know Christ or not, regardless of uh, if they ever receive Christ. Is that our desire? Absolutely. I, I hope you do. I, I hope that God has, has impacted you in such a way that you're like, I can't help but to tell you about them. I, I hope that, that he's transformed your life in such a way that you want to see that in the people that, that live around you, the people that you work with. You can't help yourself. That's our desire. But is it up to you whether they receive Christ? No. It's between them and God. And only the Holy Spirit can draw them in that direction. All you can do is love them. All you can do is plant and water, plant and water, plant water. You can't force it to grow. So if it doesn't grow, if they don't receive Christ right away, do you just stop and move on? Are you just trying to sell them something? Or are you doing it because of what 1 John 4 says? We love each other because he loved us first. Because every person that you come into contact with is somebody that God loved and sent his son to die for. That's why you love them. Whether they believe in Christ or not, it doesn't matter. Our job is not to be the savior. We can't. That's, that's Christ's job. All we can do is love them the way Christ has loved us. So let's not make that mistake. And so here's my challenge for you. I want each and every one of us this week just to go. Commit yourself to go love on your neighbor. Go uh, be the hands and feet of Christ to them. Foster a relationship with them. Uh, you, you, could, you could even invite them to come back with you on Easter Sunday because on Easter Sunday, we're starting a new series called Hope. We're gonna be talking about hope even when your life is spiraling out of control and things are, are beyond, um, you know, beyond all hope, right? How do you maintain hope in a situation like that? And there's not a single person in this room or outside of this room that doesn't need to hear those messages. And you can invite them. But here's my challenge. I want you to go. Commit yourself to, do, to just go. That You're not going to sit by anymore. You're not going to be the one that sits and goes, well, I don't have a whole lot to offer. I want you to take that measly little lunch and I want you to offer it to Jesus and watch what he does in that moment. It, it seems like so often when we talk about loving our neighbor, it's as though as, as believers we're just kind of sitting in our house and not really doing anything. We know we're supposed to be doing it, but we're not doing it. It's like we're sitting at a red light. Do you realize 2,000 years ago, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, therefore go. Why are we waiting on a green light that Jesus has already given us? Let's go. It's Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. He rode in knowing he was going to give his life, that he was going to change everything. The reason he came were the people that were called to go love. Let's go. And so here's what we're going to do. I want you just to spend some time. Hopefully you wrote some names down or you, you have some names in your mind that God's given you. I want you to spend some time just in prayer for those neighbors. And if, if you don't know their names, don't worry about it. Guess what? God does. He died for them. You might not even know who lives in that house, but you know what that house looks like. Pray for that house because God knows the people that live there. Yeah, you can pray for your out relationships. You can pray for your one habit, that person that you stop one time every day at one o'clock and you pray for one minute, that one habit, you can pray for that person. But I want you right now just to spend some time in prayer for those people that Jesus came for. Um, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, you have never talked to a mortal. You know what he meant? Every person that you talk to has a soul. 
Every person that you talk to, that you shake hands with, they, that you have interaction with, they are destined for eternity in one or two places, either heaven with Jesus or eternal damnation separated from God forever. Do you realize that you play a role in someone's eternal destination? I want you to take that seriously this week and commit yourself that you're gonna fulfill the great commandment to love God and love others. Would you spend some time in prayer just praying for those people that God desires for you just to love on, just to love the way that he loved you?